the revenue operations space, a lot of the work that we do to try to come to that single source of truth that we always talk about (laughs) is in support of allowing our C-suite leaders to be able to make the right decisions for the company. And going through those experiences and literally being the person that tells the CEO what we need to do is mind-blowing. Welcome to Revenue Insights. Every week, we'll be joined by revenue leaders from some of the most successful and highest growing companies. Together, we explore how they built their revenue teams, the journeys that they've been on, and the lessons they have learned along the way. Revenue Insights is brought to you by Ebster. We're a revenue intelligence platform designed to help revenue teams to build more pipeline, close more deals, and retain more customers. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Revenue Insights podcast. Today, I'm joined by Brianna Yarborough. She's the co-founder of C-Model and serves as an advisor and executive leader for several high-growth startups. Brianna, it's lovely to meet you at last. Yeah, great to be here, Lee. Thank you for having me. No problem at all. Um, we'll start where we normally start. Uh, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your story. I've mentioned kind of in the intro, you've you know worked at various different startups in tech. You've now started your own startup. So can you give a little more context around what that journey's been like? Absolutely. So, you know, I started my career maybe 15 years ago and based out of Houston, Texas, the natural path of, of any career in Houston, Texas is for you to go into oil and gas. That's what I did. <laughs> um, I started in oil and gas and supply chain management and procurement, got a little bit of a finance uh, skill set while I was in that in that role, lived and bounced around the country a little bit in Billings, Montana, Oklahoma, and then moved on to tech. And it was completely a fluke. Like it was not intentional at all. Um, I just had an opportunity fall into my lap. It was a cybersecurity company and everything was great. Operations and strategy management. The chief strategy officer was supposed to move to Houston from California, never did. So I was pretty much the chief strategy officer nice. here in Houston. What a great way to level up your skill set, just yeah. be thrown into the fire, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then a couple of other companies have, you know, done AI and customer experience and um, machine learning, um, as well as employee development and learning and development uh, for tech, ed tech companies. And throughout that career, it kind of remained in the strategy and operations realm. And then it kind of pivoted into finance. And so I went and reported into the CFO within tech altogether, always reporting into someone in the C-suite, which is also an interesting dynamic for the tech world, right? Um, but going to this finance role and determined that there was a need for business intelligence. We didn't, we had disparate systems. We had data that was not matching up. I'm sitting in finance and trying to forecast and understand where we are from a financial perspective so that we can report up to the investors and the board members. Unable to do that because what we're getting from sales doesn't match what we have. And we're just finding that all of this is just a cluttered mess. And we've got years of background data um, because the company had been in, in existence for about six or seven years. And no one had thought about just turning on the integration or just, you know, how important it is for our information to match what other stakeholders internally had on their end. Um, and so I became the director of financial planning and analysis. And then we tagged on business intelligence. And then we tagged on revenue operations. So I'm the director of these three 
different, but very related um, departments. And it, it was life-changing for the company, grew uh, the revenue by 300% in one year and um, was really able to integrate our systems and create a single source of truth and build out dashboards that made sense. So we knew exactly where we were and we didn't have to spend the weekend running numbers and crunching things in, you know, Google Sheets or Excel or whatever system. Um, and then from there on, I did some consulting for a while, very passion driven for me. Um, I did consulting primarily for um, founders of color. And that was just something that spoke to my heart as a DEI champion. And I did that for a while and got to be in a variety of different organizations, helped an organization understand that they were a PLG product where they didn't know, they just wanted to create something. They created it and they were hitting the ground running, but selling it like an enterprise tool and it was not right for them. And so just making it available for purchase on their website grew their revenue by 20% in one quarter. So that it was instrumental. The, the proof is always in the pudding. When you get to see those results of your efforts that you put into things, it's really rewarding. And then that brings me to today, you know, all of that journey and all of that experience tech is one year in tech is like, five years in the yeah. regular, yeah. <laughs> regular dinosaur world. <laughs> um, so I really have like a hundred years of experience. <laughs> but, um, but all of that experience uh, led to, you know, me just kind of networking on LinkedIn and meeting new people. And I came across Tisha Cable, who is my co-founder of C-Model and the CEO of C-Model. And we really started talking about, at the time, she was a VP of business ops for a major uh, sales sort of ed tech company. And, um, and we started talking about all of the things that, you know, we're missing in, 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 in the technologies that we were currently using and what we wish we had and what good looked like and decided to build C-Model. And so C-Model is a decision intelligence SaaS company who provides insights and recommendations. That's the icing on the cake. The recommendations to CEOs and leaders who really want to grow their businesses. Um, we have a proprietary de uh, decision support engine that aggregates all of the critical business data across the entire company. And we use machine learning to analyze those metrics, assumptions. We use benchmarking. We have a expert uh, network that also provides insights and helps us kind of concatenate all of the information that is coming across from all over the place to bring down here. This is what we've noticed. Your, for example, CAC spin and return on investment from that CAC is not what it was last quarter. And these are the reasons why. Maybe something's going on in the industry. Maybe something's going on in the market. Maybe you have a competitor that is leading or taking over sort of the market share. Um, that's what our system does for CEOs. Amazing. Uh, just before we kind of go down the route of C model a little bit more, um, of the companies that you have kind of worked with and consulted on, uh, in terms of size, are we talking like, uh, you know, usually kind of small tech startups or have you also been on the, you know, more enterprise size uh, of the scale? Oh, both. It's, uh, it's definitely been a multi-million dollar deal for one year. All the way down to uh, PLG, you can put this on your company card on a monthly basis. Beautiful. And then, um, so uh, really fascinated um, to learn a little bit more about C-Model. But actually what I'm really intrigued by is, and I'm making a wild assumption here, is that, you know, decision intelligence um, sounds, you know, incredibly useful, first and foremost. But 
I'm guessing that comes from a lot of learnings from the businesses that you've worked at, working with CEOs that probably could do as a helping hand making decisions. I think decision making is a topic that comes up a lot in this and making decisions is really hard. Uh, you know, but whether you're a CEO or just that, you know, a, a regular Joe. Um, and so what can you share like some of those experiences and learnings that you had that really inspired building C model? Absolutely. So, um, in the revenue operations space, a lot of the work that we do to try to come to, um, that single source of truth that we always talk about <laughs> is, is in support of allowing our, our C-suite leaders to be able to make the right decisions for the company. And, you know, going through those experiences and literally being the person that tells the CEO what we need to do it is mind blowing. You, you become a strategic partner. You're not a tactical Salesforce or HubSpot administrator or anything like that. It becomes a part of the process, the people, the data, all of that rolled up and then understanding what this means for our organization, understanding what's going out in the rest of the market and the competitive landscape to come back and say, well, we need to really up our marketing game or we need to be at this conference or we need to, um, you know, stop spending as much in this area because X, Y, Z, to have informed decisions become something that is easily accessible. And if you think about a CEO or C-suite leaders day in the life, they're in back-to-back meetings all day. They don't have time to do a whole ton of research. They don't log into a benchmarking platform. Even the RevOps folks on the ground, you know, unless you have some massive team, you don't have access to as much information as C-Model does, right? And so that whole concept alone helps you understand the value proposition that it, that brings. And it's not just about the revenue piece at all. It's about how is the product performing? How are the users um, interacting with the product? What is the sentiment around employees internally? Um, I mean, it goes as far as that for us to talk about motivation and talk about, um, you know, uh, how much output we're getting from, you know, individuals in the workspace. And, and if there is something, maybe there was an answer to a survey or we have Slack data that's coming into our system that's saying, okay, well, this person isn't really on the same, you know, level as some of the other people within the organization. Um, I think over the course of my career, being that person that, was more, it almost feels like a chief of staff. You're like, you're almost a right hand person to the CEO, but you're in a RevOps role and you have all of the skill set and all of these experiences that you've had that you can really consult and become that strategic partner to help them understand what needs to happen next. A lot of CEOs are first time CEOs, <laughs> especially in the tech space. And they don't know unless you tell them and educate them the same way that you would um, during a sales pitch, right? you would say, these are the reasons that you need this. And this is how it will help you. This is the value that you'll get out of it. Mm. Uh, I, I'm really interested to uh, actually, because what underlays a lot of this is data, right? Um, and I think going back to what you were saying kind of earlier around like the different roles that you've played, you know, intelligence, revenue operations, all of it is underpinned by, by data at the end of the day. And do you think that that is one of the, one of the biggest challenges that many businesses have is, you know, 
And I'm kind of curious to know through the lens of C-Model as well, in terms of it, it sounds great to have it all in one place, but does that rely on having, you know, good, clean, reliable data all being fed into a single location? Absolutely. Um, I, I am a huge advocate to say, yes, that would be the best chance of survival for any organization when you have disparate systems, disparate data, and there's no data governance in place. It leaves your, it, it's untrustworthy. There, it trash in, trash out. I mean, that is the, the, the phrase that we use here. <laughs> and, you know, you put trash in and you don't have anyone that's actually looking and monitoring or setting up the, the right processes to make sure that people are capturing the right information. Then you don't have anything worth using in the end, uh, to be able to understand anything for your organization. And that's another thing that C-Model does. We actually look for anomalies in your data to say, hey, you might want to go take a look at this. It doesn't look right. Lovely. I I want to take us in a slightly, I've got a really interesting question. So when we first kind of, we were actually going to speak back in July of 2022, and I was looking through your LinkedIn page, something that you were really passionate about, certainly at the time, and I'm interested to know if it's changed, is pretty predictable revenue growth, this, um, uh, you know, this uh, dream almost for, for many businesses. From your experience and, you know, doing what you're doing now, uh, do you think predictable revenue growth is ultimately achievable? Absolutely. Um, I think that you have to get your handle around what is going on outside of your business. You can't just be stuck in your business and think that what happened last year is going to happen this year. Um, seasonality is a thing. There are a bunch of different variables that affect what predictability means. And so if you have someone that is good at analyzing the market on your team, or you have a reliable resource getting market intelligence, then that will help you create a more predictable forecast for your business. But predictable revenue underpins a lot of Things like it's fed by so many factors. Like no one knew that COVID was going to come and people were going to get laid off and this was going to happen. But as soon as it happened, people that understood the implications of, you know, freezing, you know, financial purchase- purchases and how long that might run and thinking about that and just not, not even being, being, uh, not even being conservative about it. Like let's be realistic about this and try to see how long our business can last with our current employee group and what we need to do to cut back on specific areas so that we're not affected in the same way that these other companies are affected. So just kind of being on the lookout for um, what might happen, what might come that might throw you off a little bit, but also the predictability is very much so attainable. It's it's it just takes you doing the extra step of doing the research. Yeah, and obviously, so at the time that we're recording this is November of 2022. Going into 2023, knowing what the market is like at the minute, um, I think I think now is probably the time that predictability is going to be challenged. Certainly, at its most in the well, since COVID, really. I'm interested to know from businesses that you've worked at, and arguably for C model. Although I know, kind of at the stage you're at, you might have a slightly different approach to it. When it comes to planning, uh, planning ahead for the year, and um, what would you say your approach is to it, and h- how do you achieve that predictability? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I I start off with reviewing historical data. Um, how have we performed so far? What was it like last year? Who was on a team and who was not? Who just got here and needs to ramp? Um, there's a lot of questions that I ask. It's about asking all of the right questions and to the right people. 
Um, and so, you know, if an organization says, I want to grow by 20% next year, we need to do a top-down analysis and we need to do a bottoms-up analysis and we need to see if our numbers match and do them separately. Um, and what does it mean to stretch our quotas? Are we, what is our quota attainment to begin with? It, do we need to hire more people or do we need to do something like be more intentional about the pipeline that we're generating um, instead of, you know, just letting all the leads come in? Maybe we need to come up with a new discovery sort of um, questionnaire or strategy as we're thinking about the types of people that we're actually spending time and energy on because time and energy equals money. Um, and so that would be my answer to that question. And I really think that, you know, with all of the questions answered and building out your forecast or using the right tool to house your forecast, um, it really helps you stay on on track of things. I have noticed from a lot of companies that I've worked for that they're just not data-driven at all. And it, they don't plan and they don't look at their pipeline and they don't look at how they are doing from forecasts versus actual on a, a regular operational cadence. And that's what gets businesses into trouble. And so I would say, yes, plan accordingly, ask all the right questions up front, think about your ramp, think about all of the sellers that are involved, think about your implementation, your time to revenue, because you have revenue rec recognition um, uh, implications that are different for every company. It might take one company 12 weeks to implement someone or onboard them onto their tool or technology or service, or they could be provisioned immediately and you start, you know, gaining that revenue um, right now, right then. And so it depends on the company, the nature of the business. And uh, regardless of that, ask the right questions, think about planning and measure yourself against it. Something that you said, I'm curious to know the answer to. You know, you mentioned that, you know, a number of businesses, you know, don't don't have data and they're not planning. To, to me, that's kind of baffling in a way. Uh, but that's how, how my brain works because uh, I, I need to have a plan for everything. So what, why do you think some businesses don't have data and don't have a plan? Um, I think that they're working in silos. They don't have a revenue operation structure. And when I come into the picture, I'm asking these questions and they're like, we didn't even think about it or we didn't even have, we didn't have someone to do that work. We got the system, but we don't have a data governance plan so that anyone is making sure that these, you know, we're crossing our dot, you know, our, um, our T's and dotting our I's, um, within the system. And we're just going off of whatever the dashboard says. And then you go and you dig into the data and there's, you know, 150, 200 line items of things that they're disqualified or they don't, they're, they should be closed lost or any of that, you know? And, um, and, and so while the companies that I'm referring to tend to be non-tech companies because RevOps has become fairly industry agnostic, it also happens in the tech world. You, you may have the systems in place and think that you're doing the things right but your tech isn't talking to each other or your team isn't talking to each other. There's information hoarding that's happening. I see that way too often. I don't know why, but, you know, instead of the collaborative revenue engine team, it's almost like people are, you know, in this little box. And then if you try to poke a hole in their box to see what they're doing, they're like taping it up. Like, don't look at me. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that's some of the trends that I've noticed uh, across various companies is, You'll put the system in place and you just won't follow through with educating people, enable, enabling people to use it properly. 
or, um, and then you end up with all this tech debt and all of these fields and all this crazy, I mean, it's like a spider web or you, um, you, you have the system, people are using it fairly, fairly well, and you're just not planning appropriately, appropriately against that because your finance team is busy handling uh, APAR or not really doing a lot of financial planning analysis. And if they do do it, maybe they do it on a quarterly basis. They're not as into the weeds or the data as much as they should be with a close pulse on what's going on in the business. I'm really intrigued to know, with that in mind, from uh, C-Model's perspective, um, what is the most important thing that you are planning for going into 2023? Yeah, the most important thing that we're planning for is is our <laughs> revenue. Um, yeah, we're looking at we're looking at what's going on in the market. We're looking at our competitors and our competition, and we are planning to you know really immerse ourselves in uh, the conferences. We were backed by AWS earlier this year, and we'll be at the conference later this month. Um, and so, really building up the network and building up the um, I would say buy-in and relationships that it takes to uh, have people see what we're doing. Because if you're not visible and you're not creating awareness, then you're invisible. Um, and you know, also just building up that 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 pipeline and building up those relationships so that we not only have friends that think of us when someone needs our our technology, right? But also. Um, because relationships are super important. And that's another thing that I love about the revenue community altogether is that we always look out for each other. If we have questions, there's, I'm, I'm always available. People are always in my DMs asking me questions or wanting mentorship or whatever. And I'm just, I'm all, I think I say yes too much sometimes, <laughs> but it, it works. And I am always willing to pay it forward. Yeah. I, at one point it was me, right? At one mm. point I didn't know what the heck I was doing and I had to figure it out. And so yeah, I helping hang. I, I don't know how you have, time in your day <laughs> to, to have so many people out right um so barely <laughs> yeah uh, I, I i'm very much in the same boat of uh very happy uh what was the the advice is was always you know say say yes to everything you know you never know where it will take you well after a while you build up so much debt saying yes to everything that it's like, okay can't actually do the things that i need to do now um which becomes slightly troublesome um Something that I really wanted to ask you that um, came to mind when we were chatting at the beginning, you know, as we've kind of touched on, you've worked at businesses both large and small. Um, and what have you learned from building businesses that you're now taking into building your own business? What are the foundations that you're putting in place? I would say that some of the foundational aspects that we're putting to place is culture is, is important, right? Um the way that you treat people is important. And, you know, that DEI underlying aspect of like who I am as a value, like the value that I have as a person is something that I'm taking into building C-Model. Um, it, it'll be a place that, you know, people want to work and they're excited about and they're happy about because they are treated fairly and they have a voice and the door is always open. Um, that's one, that's one thing. Uh, another thing that I would say is a, found a foundational aspect of, of growing and building a business is um, being really good about thinking towards the future. You're, you're future focused. You think about the present. You see the past. But if your eye is on the prize and you're working towards a goal, setting goals for yourself, setting OKRs, going out, killing them 
and doing the same thing. What are the OKRs? What are the KPIs that relate and tell us the measurements on any of those OKRs? What are the goals that individuals have that they are doing to help us attain those top level goals? Um, that is an important and driving factor for C model as well, so that we all have our piece of the pie. We're owning it and we have accountability for it. And then we're going after it and, um, and then by the close of whatever that particular time frame is, we've all reached our goal and we're thinking about the next thing. And so being very future focused and building progressively. Mm. Nice. And what would you, in, this, in the state that you're in at the minute, um, are you, how many employees do you have now? We have about 12 people on the team. Okay. So you're up to 12 people. And uh, I know to our listeners at home, we'll be coming at it from, you know, businesses the same size and much bigger businesses. Um, particularly to the, some of those larger businesses, you know, often you can't be as agile, you can't be as nimble. But what, what advice would you give from a smaller business to, to pay it forward really to some of those bigger businesses of what they could do better, what they could do more progressively? Yeah. Oh, advice to bigger businesses? That's a good one, Lee. <laughs> get rid of your red tape. Stop getting in the way. Don't get in the way. It's, it happens way too often. Everyone is uh, the police or the sheriff in town. And you're really just a blocker. You're a bottleneck. And so um, the experiences that I've had is very long, drawn-out procurement processes by the time the, the deal closes or by the time we get ready to actually get this closed, the client's going to walk away because they know what it feels like to work with us. And we're hanging things up because it has to go to legal and procurement and you know security and over here. Um, I, I'm not saying take everything and do everything, but very much so make your processes internally more efficient. Set SLAs for yourself and your internal departments to say, Anything client-facing will not sit with this team for more than 24 hours or 48 hours and stick to it. Um, oftentimes, I just see things, you know, two months out. Why isn't this signed? Why isn't this done? Why isn't this implemented? And the the answer is kind of like, oh, it's been sitting over in this team's, you know, desk on their on their lap and they haven't gotten back with us. And you know, be responsive um, and and just hold yourself accountable. One, that was a really good response. Um, and two, I think it's a fine line, right? Because um, sometimes at smaller businesses, there are no processes and it's, uh, and it's, it's carnage because you're really trying to work your way out as you go. And then ironically, the, there's a fine line where you kind of tilts the other way, where you end up with so many processes that actually becomes just an absolute mess. And red, red tape is a really good way of putting it. And actually finding a balance between the two. Um, I think uh, I was speaking to someone recently who was saying a similar thing for like, for, for actually as part of the planning process, like taking that into consideration of removing some of those blockers and improving some, some of those efficiencies. Because um, they're often things that you really don't get good visibility over. That is. Um, with... Going back to the theme of obviously 2023 co- coming out of pretty quickly at this point, um, how, what advice would you give to businesses that want to hit the ground running that from, you know, the first, first day of January, assuming that their financial year obviously runs from beginning of Jan to the end of the year, or in fact, whenever it runs, um, how do you normally work with how, or rather, how have you worked with businesses in the past? And, you know, I think you've already touched on it for, for CMOL at the minute. What advice do you give to actually, you know, hit the ground running from day one? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, definitely. I started my planning process last month. Um, you know, within the beginning of the last quarter of your fiscal year, make sure that you're doing your planning and thinking about all of the OKRs and uh, initiatives, strategic initiatives that you want to roll out for the organization to help the company progress forward. And um, if you can, if this is possible, I know December is a hit or miss for a lot of companies because of the holiday. But um, if you can, I would do a looking back, right? And like we have kickoffs all the time, sales kickoffs um, or revenue kickoffs. Um, but a looking back in December and maybe even a kickoff consolidated into two before January 1 rolls around so people know what to expect would be, um, I've had that experience and it was really great because it put people in the mindset and they were ready to hit the ground running on Jan 1. Whereas if you're doing a kickoff at the end of January, you've already missed a month and you're not building up the motivation and you're not getting people excited and they're not ready to hit the ground running quite yet. Um, they've just been working how they were working last year and you've, you, you've, you've definitely lost out on some time. But I definitely think that, you know, always celebrating the wins and patting people on the back, giving them, you know, the feedback and the ability to learn and level up themselves, uh, thinking about professional development within your planning. That is also important. You're, you, you're only as good as your people. And if your people aren't, you know, stretching themselves and thinking about ways to um, learn and develop, they're just remaining stagnant and they're going through the motions. You want to be surrounded by the smartest people in the room. I don't want, I, I've heard people say, I'm not hiring anyone smarter than me. And I'm like, I'm hiring everyone that's smarter than me. Like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? Um, and so that's another aspect. Uh, your, your, your end of year sort of closeout cycle and the beginning of the year kickoff and getting ready to hit the ground running should entail not only the numbers and the forecast and the compensation planning and all of the things that we currently do, but it should also be about, well, what are our goals for next year? What are our things that we need to achieve and accomplish? How much are we going to grow? How do we expect to get there? How are we going to enable our people to do that? Beautiful. As we kind of move to the end of our chat, something that I am kind of uh, intrigued about is, in fact, we've, we've probably potentially touched on it already, but is there a particular project that you're working on right now that you're particularly passionate about? I know that you're kind of at the end of your year, kind of looking ahead, looking to you know start with events and conferences and stuff like that. But is there anything kind of beyond that? Or is that really like main focus now of, okay, 2023 is going to be our year? Yeah, 2023 is going to be our year. It absolutely is. I cannot say that enough. 2023 is our year. Um, we, we, the, one of the projects that I think we are working on that we have to be passionate about that we are very passionate about is, um, you know, continue to build revenue and showcase that product market fit and uh, look good for investors, right? We were getting ready to start having conversations about fundraising. And in those conversations, we need to demonstrate the value that we bring to organizations. And so that's one of the like very strong passion projects that I'm working on. And also educating people on what decision intelligence is, right? We hear about revenue operations a lot. And decision intelligence is not quite a term that people are very much familiar with at this point in time. Um, and so it, it, I think that educational aspect of 
here's decision intelligence. Here's how we think about it. We have an entire methodology. I won't go into depth, with, but like we evaluate your growth stage and we tell you what KPIs are important and we help you level up to the next growth stage. And so there's all of these methodologies and frameworks that we've built out and put together that is our own proprietary information. Um, building that out, being thought leaders in that space and um, and educating people and continuing to network with people and continuing to show up for people is something that I am definitely passionate about. Love that. All right. Final question. Are you ready? Let's do it. If there's one book that you'd recommend to other revenue leaders, which one would it be? Um, I would say that the... One book is probably How to Win Friends and Influence People. And I say that because this, this revenue, you know, world, I think everyone is nice and great and, um, willing to help and all of that. And there are some people that aren't and you have to kind of like wheeze your way in. Like, Hey, you want to be my friend, don't you? <laughs> and so, um, that's one of the last books that I, that I've read. And it's been a while. I've listened to a lot of podcasts. It's very easy to just be hammering at work and listen to a podcast at the same time or even an ebook. Um, and so I've done a lot of that as of recently, but that's the, definitely the last book that I read. Beautiful. And I thought it was great. I can only assume that you've been listening to the Revenue Insights podcast while you've been working through stuff. <laughs> it's just playing for me in the background. Yep. <laughs> Gaining knowledge. Knowledge is power. I love it. I love it. All right, Brianna, I, I know you're super active uh, on on social media and in communities. Um, to listen to our audience who wants to learn a little bit more about you and, um, and decision intelligence as well, uh, where can they find you? Yeah, I am on LinkedIn. I know people are super hot on Twitter. I haven't picked up that train yet. I'm not on that boat yet. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm very active on LinkedIn and you can find me, Brianna Yarbrough and uh, C-Model. Look up C-Model and there I am. Awesome. We'll, we'll put links down to that in the show notes. So awesome. It makes it a little easier for Um Wonderful. Brianna, it's been great to have you on. It's been great to chat and to everyone listening at home or in your car or while you're working, clearly. Um, <laughs> thanks so much and we'll catch you next week. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Revenue Insights. If you want to learn more, subscribe to our newsletter and we'll deliver every episode straight to your inbox. If you have any questions, feel free to connect with us on LinkedIn. Our links will be in the episode notes. See you next week.